Ben, you've not seen this episode yet. No, no, I haven't seen it. That's I am so excited. <laughs> so, so this is a weird one. This is, uh, yeah, let's just leave it at that. That's <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Does anybody have any housekeeping stuff before we start? The only anime news I have is that our host, Ben, hasn't seen this episode. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. Welcome everyone to a very boisterous, very exciting episode of Pen Pen Pals. Uh, as always, I'm Alex. I am Brian. Hey, and I'm Ben. Uh, and we're super excited because uh, Ben, having not seen this episode, is a really cool thing because uh, we'll get a fresh reaction and that'll be awesome. Uh, but we're also excited because we have a returning guest from this season. Uh, we love to have him on uh, last time and uh, uh, we're excited to talk to him again. Please welcome Theta. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very glad to be back, especially for this episode. <laughs> especially with fresh meat. Awesome. <laughs> oh boy. Uh so has anything been happening with you? You've you like put out a lot of stuff. So is the season going well? Have your streams been going okay? Yeah, have a a little bit of a lighter season. We never ended up picking a show to do week to week, so oh. we been, uh, kind of raffled off a few slots for letting people in the audience choose some stuff for us to cover. And the very first of those was uh, the Hay Case story from the season because it actually ended early. It actually ended last Wednesday. So oh. an 11 episode run. It's a retelling of uh, Heike Monogatari, a, a very old kind of Japanese story f about events from the 12th century. And uh, very stylistic. Uh, they're emulating some of the art, I think, that describes that period. And uh, oh, fascinating. there's a very creative way to retell it and really leverage anime as the medium um, they did it. But it just it's a series that I think starts well and manages to get stronger even as you go. Now, it's a little bit confusing because it's historical fiction. Lots of people kind of look the same. They like to name each other very similar things. So you kind of even need a little cheat sheet to watch it. But um, mm. just stronger and stronger as it went along finale was excellent very satisfying as far as you know it could only end this one way basically it felt like a grand fairy tale i understand why mm. it's a story that people have been telling for 700 years so so that was a great thing we've done this uh, this season so far okay so i totally know what the heike monogatari is but uh for anybody who doesn't know <laughs> what, what is that <laughs> So the original tale is about kind of the end of the Heian period in Japan, I'm pretty sure, oh. and uh, a transfer between those. And kind of as the fall, it's a big tragedy about the fall of the Heike clan and uh, told in kind of epic verse, if you will. And not that the anime is that, but it's mm -hmm. an 11-part anime adaptation of that story, um, narrowing the cast a little bit and then turning the the narrator that would normally be the person who is performing it with the accompaniment of a biwa, a little kind of lyre-like instrument, hmm. into an actual character in the story. So you have a narrator who becomes part of the story, doesn't necessarily change it, but becomes the person who meets the little core of characters that we spend more time with. Hmm. So you get more of a personalized inside look at this clan's rise and fall. And, and that's all like in the premiere, like you know that's you're watching the fall of the Heike clan. But despite that, that doesn't make it any less compelling. So that was a good one. And, and actually this has come up on this show um, because back when we were watching Evangelion, I think that, that rail gun, that's actually 
um, based on that myth where there's this archer that does this really long shot and hits a fan on a, a boat or something like that. So, okay. Last time on Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus, we took a look at the early life of Dr. Werner Frank before he was half robot, before the dark times, before the Klaxosaurs. Ape had humble beginnings as a mysterious group of extra-national scientists who introduced magma technology to humanity. When Werner found himself in hot water for his cloning project, <laughs> joined Ape's curious employ and helped invent immortality on a lark. Karina Milsa, Werner's professional admirer and only romantic companion, helped his research, became Frau Frank without him noticing, and got killed in record time during the first Frank's tests. Werner moped for years until he met a much older woman. The 65 million year old Klaxo Queen took Werner's arm in their first encounter, but gave him a new purpose and baptized him in blood as Dr. Franks. Will we get more Klaxo characterization? Are there any more baby hands to be found? Are there any twists more surprising than one ancient civilization? Let's find out. All right. That was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that joke tracked. Um, okay. Uh, ready when you are, bad to count us in. Uh, three, two, one, play. In the previous battle, we successfully took over the Grand Crevasse and the massive weapon that lay underground. Thus, our entity is now completely under our control. I'm sorry, but where'd Nana go? Uh, what do you mean? I'm Nana. Code 002. We raised you with so much care, all for this day. We're counting on you. Oh yeah, right. Says the one who lied. Doctor, we've received word that Hring Horny is ready for action. I see. How's Nana doing? I had her brief Squad 13 regarding their upcoming mission earlier. Not and... that Nana. Never mind. It sure is quiet. Yeah. Once we're done with this, what do you want to do? I want to go see the world. Humans. A long time ago, when we were attacked by invaders from the expanse of space, we fought and drove them off. Then we holed up in the Earth and prepared for their return. Invaders? Indeed. They are invaders. Our true enemy. Verm. All right, Ben. Really, uh, was not expecting that last twist. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ben, I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> All right. So, so I just want to make sure I even understood what was going on. Okay, take your time. Yeah, there was a lot going on there. So there was this weapon. We thought that Ape wanted... <laughs> Zero two to use, or maybe Ape even did want zero two and Hero to use that weapon. Um, then zero one came, stole Hero, stole the weapon. Turned out didn't want it to fight the humans, but to fight Verm, and that that is why the Klaxosaurus had been emerging, not because of 
the humans drilling the magma energy, though they're kind of upset about that. But actually, it's that they knew that these aliens called Verm were coming um, to destroy the Earth, and there had been this big battle in the past, and this weapon, Horny... What's it called? Ring Horny. Ring Horny had been set up to defend against Verm. So Verm show up, they destroy Verm, but then it turns out Ape is actually Verm too. <laughs> and that the Hinghornia is too powerful of a weapon and, you know, Verm is part of like some space police or something that have decided <laughs> it's too powerful. And so they have to absorb it and destroy well, not destroy all humans, but like absorb them into some kind of Borg. What's the Evangelion thing called? Instrumentality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of instrumentality sort of thing where they will be absorbed into Verm. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that more or less right? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty damn <laughs> good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess key difference is the, the Hring Honey and Star Entity. Those are two separate things oh okay mm. so ring horny is like the the spear thing the spear in norse mythology it's balder's boat yeah his funeral pyre yeah 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 funny enough that's where uh nana balder's wife actually dies too but not in this episode we don't get to see our nana in this episode anyways uh and then star entity is the giant uh super mech right which uh franks also refers to it as Streletia Apis? Yeah. What is Apis? Wait, before we go too far, just a question. Of, I don't know anything about Norse mythology. Like a, a reference to Baldur's boat. Does that inform us about something? Sort of. So Baldur. The greatest of all boats. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the greatest of all boats. The, the last time I was on, I talked about Golden Bell and especially about mistletoe. You remember all that? Mm-hmm. Baldur is killed by mistletoe. It's actually the oh. only thing that can kill him is mistletoe. Mm. and it kind of similar to like Achilles in Greek mythology that has just the one weakness and mm. it's because of something their mother did to try to make them invulnerable but didn't quite finish the job and so Baldur is actually killed by a sprig of mistletoe and that is the first of a series of events that eventually touches off Ragnarok which of course is a great death of the world followed by a rebirth of the world um, so Baldur is very linked up with the other things that that Franks has been borrowing as far as uh, that mythological tradition goes. So these like very dramatic things that happened in this episode that doesn't throw the death and rebirth theme out the window? No, not at all. Okay. It's just re, 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 um, reaffirming it. We're going through another cycle. All right. I guess we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and I just figured out, I couldn't find it on several other searches in the past, but Apis is a small constellation in the sky, which represents a bird of paradise. So (laughs) Streletia Apis is a little bit uh, redundant because Streletia means bird of paradise, right? But- uh, This is the cosmic bird of paradise. Yeah, exactly. So it is kind of a larger version of the same thing. So what, what, what sticks out in your mind, if you're thinking back at it, of course, is like- suddenly aliens yeah right <laughs> and it's the last thing that happens and we're left on a, a cliffhanger i forgot how much of a cliffhanger we were left on actually oh, yeah. and uh but a lot happens nana <laughs> but but not really nana uh 
Kokoro's got morning sickness, and mm-hmm. only the audience knows what's going on with her. Yeah, <laughs> so um, much going on. Were, were there any like kind of um, hidden breadcrumbs to the aliens earlier on? Like, so I feel like that's like <laughs> the maybe the crux of the conversation around this yeah. introduction is: were there any breadcrumbs to the aliens coming forward? There is at least one from the previous episode. No, it might be a couple episodes ago. Anyway, when they when Ape sends the two. Uh, the contingent of two of their members to meet with uh, Zero One, with the, the Klaxosaur princess. She, one of them, she'll start speaking to their minds, right? She'll do the whole ho- horn glowing, screaming sound where you know she's communicating telepathically. And one of the eight members does not hold his head. He, he's not affected by it. Hmm. And in fact, seeing that happen, he suddenly grabs his daggers and makes a play for the princess and trying to... Uh, assassinator which gets everybody else killed um and when she, when zero one comes down the her off of her little throne there uh, she knocks aside his mask and makes a comment about wannabe humans or something like that um so that is the first clue that one of the eight members is not at least one is not ape uh, human like the rest uh, in fact she did not seem able to communicate to him uh, telepathically, mm. like she can to everything else. But as far as the leap to saying, oh, because he's not human, therefore aliens, that might be a bigger leap. Yeah, I guess enough happened in that episode that that didn't even really register for me. So it wasn't like it came totally out of left field, but was it well set up? Was it actually telegraphed? That I think is, I think you, uh, you, you're immediately hitting on why this was a contentious episode, <laughs> to say the least. Oh my goodness. There's some things that make sense in hindsight when zero one is talking about like um, the weapon being used by the invaders, yeah. I guess, first time mm-hmm. hearing that I would just, Oh, she assumes that humans are the invaders. But she really means firm. Mm. Um, so I don't, that doesn't really count as like telegraphing. Like there's a lot of really cool things they could have done to like set us up for like a really exciting reveal instead of a very awkward reveal. This is a very contentious thing. As I mentioned, I think that's the reason I've been invited for this episode again, because you guys just want to watch me sweat. (laughs) (laughs) Brought me on for 14 where it's like, Oh gosh, the, the, the fandom is split. Ichigo versus zero two. Everyone's hearts being ripped out. Yeah. God is Ichigo even part of this show anymore. (laughs) First of all, how dare you? (laughs) And now for this, for the aliens. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I am of two minds about this. When you talk about this episode, it's hard not to talk about how you feel about it when you're done with the entire show versus right this moment when you're hit with aliens at the end of the 20th episode. And it's the first, really first time that happens and uh, how to separate the two. But when I was talking about this on my own show way back in the day, most of the time I don't criticize it's just not my my thing i think people are very sensitive to criticism so you got to be very careful with it absolutely um but in this case i made an exception (laughs) for episode 20 because i thought it was a good chance to talk about storytelling technique and when it comes to something like aliens i think that's not a, a third act reveal right that's a, you should know aliens are on the table earlier in the story to, to prepare yourself, right? Aliens are not just 
oh, we've already done some speculative fiction elements, so why not aliens? Let's bring that in. We've already got these Klaxosaurs. They're obviously not like a part of the normal fauna that we're used to on Earth. Um, but the truth is aliens are a very big... You really are upping the scale of the story mm -hmm. to bring aliens in, right? Mm -hmm. You no longer are confined to just Earth and its processes and its little contained energy system and the kind of things that could happen, the scale of time, the scale of distance. When you bring aliens in, you've, you've made the story very big at a moment when the story should be narrowing its possibilities in theory. To reach for an analogy, it would be as big of a shock if they suddenly introduced in this episode, 20 episodes in, that Hero could wield magic. <laughs> right? Like, that is also speculative fiction. There's lots of stories about magic. That's okay. That's not so unbelievable that you couldn't make a story about people with magic. But when you're this far into a story, that, that expands the scale of what has happened and what can happen in a way that seems out of out of synergy with the what has led to this point. I think that's why I caught a lot of people off. See the Matrix 2 and 3. Yeah, and you do have an issue with like serial escalation. You you can you have to continuously up the ante a bit. You know, the first mini boss can't be harder than the end mm -hmm. boss. That just doesn't feel right. Um, and sequels have to be that same threat but bigger than the original or you uh, the audience feels let down and this, it also it feels like oh we we've done this. Um but this is so late in the story that I think it yeah. doesn't jive with a lot of people. Before we get too far, do we want to kind of run through the episode? Yeah, let's, let's jump in. Uh, we start out with a new Nana, um, and she just jumps into the role, and there's no explanation <laughs> given to Squad 13, which is so typical now of what I expect from the adults. Oh, hey, but maybe there's a little piece of, like, synchronicity or, like, as above, so below. Like, there's this new known Nana with no explanation, mm. right? <laughs> Just like, we're provided aliens. We're like, you have to accept this. You're still watching the show. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah. And like, just the way she's drawn or something feels like coding is like she's villainous, you know? Like, it's a very like Stepford wife kind of thing. You know, oh, it's very like a, a Stepford smiler. Yeah. Mm. Like, um, the, the way her eyes are drawn, it sort of reminds me of like the way the Kitsune, like the mischievous fox in Japanese, like when it shows up in anime, like, oh, here's an agent mm. of, I don't know, in, in this case, ape. I feel like she's a plant. Anyway, um, good on Miku for confronting, like calling out the elephant in the room. A feeling that probably works with other squads just fine, but not, but not 13. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here's the new Nana, same as the old Nana, <laughs> whatever. Sunrise, sunset. Good song. Yeah, so Chigo gets us back on track. Um, there's going to be a big hoopla at the Grand Crevasse again. We thought that was over with. Mm -hmm. And then uh, meanwhile, Dr. Franks is with uh, Hero and Zero Two, and they're in the Star Chamber talking to the remaining members of Ape. Mm. Uh, Seems like everyone was pretty cool with this. I thought they were <laughs> being a little too outspoken for their own good. Like th what they're saying was correct, but I just thought it was not wise for them to show their hand to people that can kill them. Ooh, oh, Hero and Zero Two? Yes, yeah. So yeah, Hero really throws down like, we're going to do this and then here's our demands. Like, we're going to have a place in the new world. You're going to leave us alone. We're going to like, oh my God. <laughs> 
you're going to be the first to die mm. <laughs> when all the Klaxosaurus were gone. I, I wonder, um, you say that and you made me think, I wonder how much of that is Hero is speaking as much for Zero Two's sake as for their own. You know, because she's kind of looking off during this and speaking under her breath about, yes, as the people who lied to me. And he reaches over and grabs her hand and squeezes it. It makes this defiant kind of yeah. statement. And she kind of, you know, turns over and looks at him and... Because you're right, being defiant to these guys, like like wait till the victory is assured, right? There, you're not really in a point of negotiation, yeah, yeah. Uh, negotiation. But I, I, I wonder how much of that is the solidarity he's continuing to try to foster between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's got some zero two energy here. Um, maybe the influence is going both ways now. Yeah, uh, we we do know that he's like growing some horns underneath his anime <laughs> bangs. Uh, so maybe there's some personality stuff that's also shifting there. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I actually don't know. Papa's obviously still lying. He's just going to say whatever to them to get them to keep going on the mission. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pringhornia is the super weapon that we've been getting hints at, I, I assume, for the for several episodes now. It's the one that was under construction by Ape, yeah. right? There's two things that we come across in this episode, Star Entity and that, and that one was being built like in the here and now though, I think. Okay. So our assumption is that this is the super weapon to fight the Klaxosaurs or kill the Klaxosaur queen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't really have much to say about the, uh, the Hachi Nana dynamic here. I guess my one takeaway is like uh, Dr. Franks has some kind of attachment to Nana. Mm. Like, he's not concerned about this fox-eyed-looking Nana. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> not her. <laughs> and he didn't squeeze the ass of the new Nana, so. And I forgot about that. Man, I was thinking about that. Like, during his lifetime, he's, like, almost, he's not aromantic. He's not asexual. He, like, gets married to and presumably has some sort of physical relations with um, uh, uh, his wife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, as an old person, he's suddenly, like, very... He has all, I don't know. He can't keep himself from touching people's butts. Like, it's strange to me. Anyways. Well, he, he was on a discovery, right? <laughs> I, I agree with Alex. There. That was like how he was set up as a character. And then that just kind of like completely disappeared from the story. And okay. Seems super. For our bonus episode, yeah. we will talk about his developing libido. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of breadcrumbs I can point to. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's move on. Okay. So uh, we get some downtime with uh, the pilots, right? And they notice that Futoshi notices that uh, Kokoro and Mitsuru removed their rings so like i don't know if they just noticed them finally and they're like let's get rid of this or if it's like maybe it's like a nagging thing you know like i don't know what this thing is but like whenever i look at it it makes me feel funny so i might as well just get rid of it so i'm not uncomfortable yeah you know you know they have to have some kind of weird cognitive dissonance because the others have told them no you guys you, you were partners you you got married you, you loved each other coco you told us all these things that comes up later in this very scene in fact um, and so I'm sure the reminder of the rings, you have that, yeah, I think it's the end of 18, maybe it's mm-hmm. 19. Anyway, where she looks at the ring and oh, like, yeah, almost yeah. in horror, like there's something really dissonant about it being on there and her not having a memory that matches up with how she got it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised they wore it as long as they did. All right. So Kokoro, like we'll get to the morning sickness in a second, but she's Kokoro and Mitsuru are both mentally reset. Like she's back to, you know, being indoctrinated and like towing the ape line. Uh, mm-hmm. My question is like, so does this also mean that Mitsuru 
had his like reconciliation with Hero removed? If like is he totally reset? Oh, I'm not sure because if you remember when they introduced them to, back to the squad, each of them recognized everyone else in the squad, but thought the other person was the new member. Like they both thought the mm -hmm. same thing. Mm -hmm. So I presume that means that the only memories they went after were the memories of okay. each other, right? Okay. And so whatever effect they've had on the other person is perhaps rescinded. So that means kind of a softening mm -hmm. of Mitsuru and the, the boldness of Kokoro. You know, she, she kind of, she, that's what she admired about him. That's the thing she kind of internalized from, uh, from him and wanted to emulate. And same with him becoming softer, you know, the haircut and, and the, um, the, just the sheer amount of blushing Mitsuru suddenly is capable of. Um, I feel like maybe that was backed up. Some of the key moments of uh, Mitsuru forgiving Hiro were like when he was getting the haircut from Kokoro and stuff mm. like that. Right? So maybe some of that psychological development might have gotten lost. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. All right, so Kokoro throws up. Uh, we all know she's pregnant. Uh, they don't. This is unheard of. <laughs> yeah. No one gets pregnant. No one has babies. They don't even know what that is. Absolutely not. All right. So this is a crisis. Well, I mean, they don't know it's a crisis. Yeah. They just maybe she's just sick. The the audience. Great dramatic irony because the <laughs> audience is just waiting for that to uh, to come back in the story. Now um, we even even came up while we were watching it. Like, is, are they even going to be able to pilot? Right. Like she, <laughs> she if she's mm -hmm. pregnant, does she does that count? Like I, I, we don't know exactly how these things work, but you know, from in one sense. She's not fertile by being pregnant in, in one sense, in the sense that like she cannot mm -hmm. be made more pregnant, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so how does that work with the, the Klaxosaur piloting system? Uh, I, I, was, I was definitely half expecting them to fail the first time I was watching this. Mm. Um, so our next scene, the big gathering, when like the plan was being revealed, all the squads are gathered. And they're standing out because... Everybody else is at attention and solemn and the gravitas of the moment. And they're all looking around. They're all uncomfortable. Like, Zero Two's yawning. Hero's amused at her boredom. I mean, they just, they're not taking it seriously <laughs> at all. They're in a different place than everybody else, which, I mean, we, th we know anyway, but it's also visually represented. They're the only ones that have any color in their uniforms at all. Yeah. All the other squads are almost all the same height, all the same build, same hair color. And then in the corridor, um, Squad 13 runs into the nines, right? And nine alpha just cannot resist like shitting on them. Zero two just like is not having any of that shit and doesn't bat an eye against nine alpha. Mm. And that's just like really nice thing. Like uh, Ichigo just like affirms her and um, zero two has kind of a emotional response to it. Uh, yeah, which, which she looks around. Everyone's like smiling at her and there's this moment of solidarity and she's surprised that that is a, uh... Happy. It means that they, she she meant what she said. She was saying it for her for her own sake. She was defending them, not maybe not knowing how they were going to. It was natural. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was it was spontaneous. It was, uh, and so she looks around and they're all like clapping her on the shoulder and smiling at her, and it's a surprise. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. which to me says it was not performative. It was uh, how she really feels. Um, and it's a good like counterpoint to the, yeah. the team, the solidarity. I mean, the uh, individuality yeah, versus collectivism kind of thing that. They, by being a bunch of individuals and sticking out, they don't uh, match with everybody else. They are not towing the line. They're not conforming to everything else. But despite that, they have, they got each other's backs. They have solidarity while still being individuals, while still being not this homogenous 
um, unit that just follows orders and tries to be the same as each other. Um, that, that theme comes up a lot, I think, but it's just another instance of it. Yeah, Squad 13. They've got community, and all the rest of the squads only have uh, collectivism. Yeah, you can gain class consciousness without becoming a hive mind. Mm. Pretty cool. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, uh, Zero Two does get under Alpha's skin. This is the first time I've seen him like get pissed off. Hells yeah. How dare you be so emotional? Look how emotional you've made me over your emotional. <laughs> and he goes stomping off like a spoiled brat. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's almost, I don't know, telegraphed at the beginning of the scene uh, that they're going to like, the nines are going to get all pissed off because they're the ones who start trying to pick the fight. They even call the 13s animals. They're like, you guys are like animals. And you're like, all right, cool. Let's fucking do this. Um, so yeah, it was very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, so they're getting ready to go into battle. Uh, Mitsuru and Kokoro are exchanging words. And essentially for them, this will be the first time they're piloting. But the way mm -hmm. Mitsuru comments on it, um, they've accepted that they've been piloting together and that for whatever reason, this has all been erased from their memory. Because he says, like, we piloted before, but we don't, you know, it should work theoretically. Uh, yeah, so once out in the field, uh, Mitsuru is calling out to Kokoro and then has this emotional reaction. And we get that weird, like, high-pitched digital static interference mm. in his head. Um, so I think we saw this with Hero and Zero, too, when they were being, being, like, beginning to break out of their conditioning. Yeah. Okay. The same, that same... Uh photo negative static effect uh -huh. thing and the so and so we so we don't have to be told what it is right mm -hmm. if they've set up that shorthand for us mm -hmm. so maybe there's hope maybe love conquers all yeah Who knows? um so so then we get this uh great scene of uh, zero two and hero who are sitting outside of strelezia going down this this elevator one of those Classic Evangelion elevator shots. Um, <laughs> yes, this might be my favorite scene in the episode. Um, so there's so many shows where like there's these two main characters, and for so long there's this sexual tension. Like, will they or won't they? And when they finally get together, like all the emotional energy is gone from the story. Uh, but this is just the opposite of that. There's like we're rooting for them to get together, then they get together, and it's like beautiful and they make the classic blunder they're making future plans before a battle don't ever do that and now like the tension is oh my god are they gonna fucking die like are they gonna actually make it like they've got these dreams um anyway and plus it plays you know asami tachibana is like love theme behind it while they're talking i just love the whole thing and uh, mm. no offense to studio trigger but i feel like this is where a1 clover works like really shines um they just set up the atmosphere like in this great romantic way with the, the lighting and the shadows. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's cool to have this romantic moment in front of a mech <laughs> right before yeah. battle. It's, it's, yeah, I kind of agree that, you know, I think we've talked about all the different kind of artistic influences and how they sometimes clash with each other a little bit, but mm -hmm. this did really feel like a moment where it's working. I never thought about that, but it makes sense as like 
So a, a, a mech that's, you know, deactivated with the cockpit open, it is this, it can be used, I guess, as this shorthand for vulnerability oh. of an intimate situation, yeah. right? Because it's normally this thing that's like for offense, for defense, like this strong protective thing. But while it's down, it's just like anything yeah. else, right? It's just, it needs those pilots inside to, uh, uh, to be that instrument of war. So. I don't know. It's cool. Yeah. Kids sitting on the roof of the car talking about their future. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like in the, you don't need a, a grove of cherry blossoms or a beach at night to have a romantic interlude. You know, it can it can happen in the the still spaces you were able to sh- uh, steal out of your day, mm-hmm. and wow. have this calm before the storm, and <laughs> that's where they what they do with that time. Uh, um, getting goosebumps again. And even even as they're setting this up. And, and like, you know, the classic blunder of, of making plans and talking, still, they, they slip the one little line in there about, you know, about, about the last page of that storybook. Oh my God. About to that page that I keep not avoiding, that I keep not, uh, you know, she looks through him and she's delighted. We've had this, you know, a few episodes leading up to this. Clearly, it's not done. She she wants to bring it up. She doesn't know how to talk about it. So even while they're t- making plans, there's obviously still something not quite done. In, not, mm-hmm. They can't quite talk mm-hmm. about. And, and um, what is that? Uh, what what is oh. she referencing there? So the last page of the picture book is the one in which the Beast Princess starts to turn into a monster. It's going to take the uh, prince's life. That's the second to last page. And then the last page, instead of taking the prince's life, she she runs away. She flees. And then the prince spends the rest of his life looking for her, never finds her. Mm-hmm. Yes. So and she thinks. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, this is why. This is also why this is my favorite moment of the episode. Um, oh God. So they, they don't say it explicitly in the show, but like zero two, I know this in my heart. She ties her like <laughs> destiny to this children's book. And the children's book has a sad, tragic yeah. ending. And she is terrified that this is her fate and she's not finishing it. And this is the question, like, is, is it going to happen? Is she just going to like accept it and that's the end? Or is she going to try to change her story? And I feel like there's this ties somehow to death and rebirth, like maybe the death of one narrative and the rebirth of another one, but maybe that's a stretch. Um, but oh my God, like, and here's, this is why I can forgive Darling and the Franks for flubbing so hard on aliens, because like, this is more important to me. The character arc is so much more important to me than like the world building arc or like, you know, whatever it is we need to move from point A to point B. Like, yeah, they fucked that up, but they didn't fuck this up. They never explicitly say Zero Two has tied her fate to the storybook, but we know it. <laughs> and they, yeah. they, they go there, man. She says it. She starts to say, you know, about that. And then she's too scared to finish the thought. And she doesn't. The promises they make to each other, though, is that if they're separated, they will search for the other. That's what, that's what happens in the book. So I don't know if that hero knows what she's referring to when he says that, or maybe he's unaware and, and it's kind of <laughs> filling the storybook in her mind. But uh, the reason she suddenly thinks of the, the storybook and she's, he's like, where should we go? You know, um, because it, it does, parts of their story do mirror the storybook. You can understand why she thinks that's what they're walking through. It's the only story she knows probably. Yeah. And um, 
he said, I'm going to take you to then show you the outside world. Well, that's what happens in the storybook too. And that's what she's talking about in the scene. He's like, where do you want to go? We could go to the ocean. We could do that. And she's like, I, I don't care. I just want to go see the world with you like the princess. Like in her mind, that's the next stage, right? We're getting to the storybook part where we get to go see the world together, knowing that there's that last page coming. Somehow that doesn't dissuade her from still wanting to walk through the part of the book where you, you travel together and you go see the outside world. She's willing, it seems, to accept that last page, mm -hmm. what's coming, so long as she gets the rest of the story, the rest of the, yeah. the pretty thing, as she says. Yeah, so Ben, like, so th this episode's called A New World, right? And in this romantic moment, they're making plans for the future. <laughs> you know, and presumably if this battle goes well, they'll be able to start a new life in a new world. Um, but right now it's just hope, but it's also sullied with this fear, the unspoken fear that like Zero Two has. So like, it's really fun to talk about the weird alien shit, but like what I want to ask you is like, where you are right now in the story, like, is she going to accept fate and have her and Hero be separated uh -huh. or are they going to create a new world? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I don't think she's really kind of accepted fate so far, right? So they have been separated in the past and she searched for him and, and she found him, right? And, um, you know, she's clearly afraid of what's going to happen at the end. Um, this is just me kind of riffing and free associating a little bit, right? But kind of if you think about just love in general and, and kind of humanity, right? We know that the end of every love story involves death or something like that, right? Nothing lasts forever, um, but mm -hmm. we still do it, right? For all of those parts in the middle where you're exploring the word, world together. Um, so in some ways, I, I think it's kind of like maybe a heightened form of, of the thing that we all do anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> that no that's a great uh, uh, that's a great statement on relationships like you know people don't die at the same time relationships end like knowing that you will go through heartache is it worth it to take that journey it's like the the beauty the beauty of transient things <laughs> um, and mm. during you know during the wedding we had um, cherry blossoms sakura is highly symbolic um representation of ephemeral you know they all burst into bloom at once it lasts a couple weeks and then it's gone it's beautiful but partially it's beautiful because it's fleeting mm -hmm. because it's not something that you just get used to and becomes unexceptional because you they're in bloom the whole year it's exactly because it's this brief moment of beauty that you know will come to an end and so you enjoy it all the more for its fleeting nature um, and so there's so much of love of course but all kinds of aspects of existence have that same quality um so do you do you not partake just because there will be an end one day well for most things the answer is well no you you, you do <laughs> partake end mm -hmm. or not what else is there mm -hmm. meanwhile we've got all the adults trying to steal a fast one on the natural order of things by going in for immortality and so these are mm -hmm. absolutely ideals in opposition to each other damn so I got a little emotional there for a minute. God, I, I just feel like when you get down to it, like this show has like this really important message, I think, just about relationships. Like this, this thing with zero two and like fear about the fate and then hope mm -hmm. for something different. Like that's all of us. Um, mm. And yeah, just like, uh, 
deciding whether or not it's worth it, worth the risk, you know? And like, I feel like that was the biggest barrier between hero and zero two in terms of attaching is some kind of barrier of fear, their absolute terror field. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you said yourself that most stories that have a romantic bent to it. It's all about the will they or won't they? Are they ever going to get together? When they do, the story is over. So most storytellers do everything they can to prolong mm-hmm. that moment as long as possible. Uh, all the complications, sometimes, you know, really stretching the imagination to make it happen um, because there is that fear that when they get together, what made the story compelling is over. Yeah, and Darling the Franks, oh man, how many times have we gotten together and been pulled apart mm-hmm. so far? You know, this is just like, what is this, like instance number four or five now that there has not been just a simple, oh, they found each other, everything's happy now, or they found each other again, everything's happy now. Yeah, we've gone through the, these cycles several times. Um, oh my God, Hero and Zero Two, they are the cycle of death and rebirth. For sure. Uh, shit. Their actual relationship has that cycle to it. We even had the, uh, you know, this very Damn. scene we're stuck on for a second. We've got our descent into the underworld in a very literal way here. <laughs> oh yes and we're gonna oh my gosh in the next episode we're gonna get passing through gates Ugh, it's right. so good right, so should we keep going um, yeah yeah so i'm glad we spent so much time on this scene though um it's relatively short uh but it is this top of the roller coaster yeah. moment for the episode yeah. right and then after this sweet little thing you this perfect moment with this perfect kiss where the kiss, like they, they're saying something, they're making another promise to each other, right? And so the kiss is the symbol, right? They become the same fucking thing. It's amazing. And that's when everything has to go wrong, of course. Yeah. There's this new thing that comes flying out of the sky. And everyone's like, what the hell is that? And it's the snake thing that 001 was riding around in mm-hmm. before, right? And like this thing flies now, or at least like spiral jumps. It looks pretty cool, the animation. And then just like, ignores all of the Frank's defense forces and then just goes into the grand crevasse. It's like, nah, I'm here. You got to deal with me. This is the moment you've all been waiting for the great crucible. Uh, And we get the first meeting between, uh, oh, well, Frank's tells Sterletzia, zero two and hero get on down the tunnel. Right. And that's when we get our, uh, that's when uh, zero zero one crashes in and we get, I guess our second meeting between Frank's and, uh, 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 001 or the Klaxosaur princess. Yeah. yeah she, she knows how to make an entrance for sure. Um, it's the, and I love that it's the two snakes that were like perched behind her before are now intertwined mm-hmm. and it's one of them forms the lower part of the mouth. The other one forms the upper part of the mouth. Um, so yeah. weird. What a great design. Uh, and she even, I said it while we were watching it, she even forms her little tentacles in such a way that it looks like a snake's tongue where she... Oh my God. She's just sitting in there like, like a queen in a, a litter, you know, like she's being born in there by her subjects. Yeah. Um, like nobody in this series has as much swagger as this girl does. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you said, she just rolls up there. You got to deal with me now. You're never going to keep me out. I'm a good, the rest of you are not even worth my time. It turns out she has a good reason to feel that way. And this is where it gets revealed that she is 001. Yes. And I guess this is the moment that Franks has been waiting for. And, um, you know, yep. maybe uh, we see his true intentions that are kind of separate from Ape's intentions, which is that he's hmm. essentially in love with this um, 001 um, and, you know, dreams of, of piloting. Um, is, would it be piloting 
Hernhornia or no, piloting the star the entity. Star entity, yeah. yeah. And yeah, when to, to pilot with her. Uh, and he proposes, right? <laughs> like he's like, "Hey, we've met once before, but uh, do you want to partner with me? <laughs> all of this has been for you." Wow. <laughs> It was all for you, Damien. But uh, in, I mean, this is, this is, a, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is the part I started getting confused where she refers to her child. And at first I thought she was talking about 002. And then I was like, is she talking mm. about hero? And then I'm like, is she talking about star entity? I don't know if you guys can help me out with that part. Yeah. So contextually, she, she'll continue to refer to star entity as her child. Like, mm-hmm. look at you, look what they've done to me or what they've done to you. You've made it so ugly, but you are still our child. Um, yeah, there's a comment she makes about it being the symbol of their bonds. I think I can't remember where exactly that is in here, yeah. but um, and then so she makes a comment about that. So this child is a crystallization of our bonds. That's why she's kind of upset about them wishing to steal my child. And then at the very end, when we're talking to glowing purple masks, apparently um, they make a <laughs> comment <laughs> about um, how. Go uh, there and find the exact. Statements. One sec. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I was just, just to resolve my thought uh, about Frank's. Um, it it didn't. I mean, it's obvious that he got gets shut down by um, the Klaxosaur Queen. He just doesn't know her. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, no, I don't need a partner to pilot. It's like he didn't know. He doesn't know anything about her. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, yeah. She's just the ideal, which it, which it is another thing that I think comes up if you look at the romance, the romantic elements in here. Um, sorry, the quote I was looking for that the floating purple masks say is that star entity is a mass of life that could disturb the universe's peace. So she calls it, you know, the symbol of our bonds, they call it a mass of life. So it sounds like it is not just a, a physical thing. It's one of these bio weapons, but considering the size of it, it sounds like mass of life must mean my, my conjecture, I guess, is that this is a lot of Klaxosapiens are formed together mm-hmm. to create this thing. So it's her child, but in the sense that, like the royal we, her children are these the other Klaxo sapiens, and they form this star entity. Mm-hmm. And I think that the uh, the like confusion or the duality of the statement that at first it sounds like almost like she's referring to zero two as her child, and that that uh, I think it's intentional because that statement like this is a crystallization of our bond. She's clearly no longer talking about zero two. But like that statement could be made about zero two in the bond between Klaxo sapiens and humans, because zero two is the clone of her and is the halfway point between a Homo sapien and a Klaxo sapien, right? Yeah, she, she seems to be. And our bridge. bond is that we're both from the same yeah. planet. Sorry, Theta. No, no, you're, no, yeah. That she seems like some kind of train. Um, so we're looking for here a uh, a bridge of sorts. Mm, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, not at all like the Klaxosaurus we know. Not, not quite human, clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess I briefly thought the same thing with Hero 2 since, you know, he's gotten, um, since he has the, the blood cells within him, I was like, oh, maybe Zero Two 2 is fully mm-hmm. Klaxosaur and now Hero is the, the hybrid or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it was Red Herring's. Red herring oh, all the way me to it. <laughs> Shit. All right. <laughs> Sorry, man. Um, but but then we keep going down, right? We go down, down, down this goddamn uh, roller coaster, and like, there's a whole ton of exposition. There's a whole ton. Like, 
I, I, I struggle to like make a narrative out of the last like seven minutes of this episode, maybe because they just keep, they're like, Oh, and this is what this is. And this is what this is. And, uh, Oh my gosh. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. Where were we? Maximum impact. The snake demolishes. Um, oh yeah. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. That's actually too uh, far. And I, <laughs> is it? Uh, we need to get to a confrontation. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, the Clexico princess is saying she, like, no, I don't need Frank's. I can do this by myself, but I'm going to use the one you provided. Okay, right. And then we get this confrontation. Um, uh, the Klaxo queen, uh, deals with Streletsia effortlessly. Um, and she just does this Darth Vader wave of the hand opens mm -hmm. the cockpit. Uh, so clearly a very powerful, <laughs> you know, you know, this is our boss level person here. Um, yeah. Chokes uh, mm -hmm. zero two. Um, just zero two is irrelevant to her. Like, it's not this like big victory. I finally have you. No, she's just like, yeah. <laughs> ah, you're just the imposter being used by the invaders and tosses her aside. And it's very, so she's almost like intentionally indifferent to her. Right. Yeah. She's like, ah, the, mm. ah, the fake that the humans created. Mm. Let me toss you aside. Whilst whilst keeping my arms crossed the whole time, I'm not even gonna <laughs> I'm not even change my stance to deal with it. It's you. a little bit like Zero Two, which she's trying to get back with Hero, and you know picks his, picks up Ichigo by the throat and kind of um, mm -hmm. just kind of deals with the pesky humans. <laughs> oh, like they were nothing, yeah. Okay, back to the uh, a but I, Zero Two Zero One fisticuffs throwdown for this. You you're going to be sorely disappointed because yeah. <laughs> they're not on the same level, clearly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, zero, like uh, zero zero one is like, uh, like a golden bow ruler. Oh, sorry. Good. I might be losing internet quality here. <laughs> oh, well, I was just going to say like, um, it was interesting that the Klaxor queen uh, kind of got fixated on hero there. Um, she didn't really need him, uh, but he's this interesting anomaly. And like she, engages with him uh, in very much like zero two fashion. Like she kisses him, but like so aggressively, it's not sexy. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, it looks like yeah. cannibalism. It's so weird. Uh, very animalistic. Uh, mm -hmm. well, it's like that, you know, divide between physical intimacy and actual intimacy that has come up a few times, right? Yeah. Um, so this time zero two has to be the one who watches <laughs> someone kissing her man you know oh yeah um, while she looks on it's like how do you like it yeah. Mm. um yeah so like gosh it is a role like we were they were in such a great place and like uh you would have thought that like you know a treacherous battle was going to be their low point but this is it this is the low point <laughs> this is uh the the class mm -hmm. princess just taking everything from her okay so uh yeah she's not the only one worried uh ape council is also worried um whatever this weapon uh, means to them. Uh, if the Klexor queen gets it, they are saying that our fate, like defeat is certain. Uh, so that seems like pretty high stakes. Um, and, and so I guess the, the human members of AB worried because they want to use this as a weapon against the Klaxosaurs and um, the Verm are worried because they don't want the, the queen to have this either. Yeah, seems that way. If you, if you take the very end of it, what they say about it being a, a thing that will disturb the peace of the universe. Mm. But they're not worried. You know, the other, you get, the hate 
the human members of Ape are all like, this is the worst possible thing that could happen. All that work we put into her will be a waste, and now we're really in trouble. Where Papa's like, no, 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 we, we've already taken measures. Fear not. Yeah. It's like, this is not the best outcome. We would like to have taken this ourselves, but uh, we took care of it. Yeah. He, uh, Papa sounds a little like Ozymandias from uh, uh, Watchmen. Like he explains the plan, then he's like, oh, but it was set in motion 35 minutes yeah. ago. Why would I explain <laughs> it if you could change the outcome? I'm not a villain in a penny dreadful. I did it half an hour ago. <laughs> um, yeah, they're very uh, confident. But it's the first mm-hmm. hint that not everyone in Ape is on the same page. It's not, actually, not the first hint. I guess they, they had the fight last episode about... What, what was this? What was this whole attempt to assassinate the princess plan? Why did this mm-hmm. not go to plan? And they're just and they're ramping it up a little bit in this episode yeah. to build to the final, the very final scene, and they're quite the mm-hmm. reveal. But looking back, there's there's a few other <laughs> elements. Of this. <laughs> yeah. So um, Dr. Franks and Hachi are still alive. I'm amazed that Franks is still alive after getting stomped. Uh, I'm amazed Hachi's still. He kind of liked yeah. that stomping. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. You know, she she. She steps on his hands. I'm not sure that was displeasure he was expressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the bottom. All right. So yeah. we saw this before, this like sort of psychic scream. Uh, we saw it when a couple of the ape people went down to visit uh, the Klaxic Sword Princess. We saw it mm-hmm. in the flashback when uh, Franks first met her. And if I remember right, I thought the baby hand climax of that other episode, that there was another big psychic scream. Uh, at any rate, it's been established, uh, and we sort of get her monologuing. Uh, we find out the nature of the what magma energy is and how it relates to the Klaxosaurs. Um, I don't know how I missed it. I've watched this so many times. Uh, so, so the queen says that their people evolved in two different directions, and one group evolved into beings of pure energy. And like, oh, uh, this like fossil fuel or whatever is they're consuming living things it's dinosaur bones soil and green is people yeah basically it's uh it's horrifying uh so yeah i'm kind of on the claxosaur side now but uh nine alpha you know is a part of the psychic monologue and is unmoved not having any of that shit how dare you talk down to papa (laughs) which like Nine Alpha, okay, we haven't gone, I don't know if it's been explicitly stated in this, but like the nines are clones too, right? I mean, they're all clones, but like the nines are not fully human either, just like Zero Two. Yeah. They're part Claxosaur, right? They're clearly not human because they look down on humans. She says in that little mm-hmm. confrontation in the hallway, don't look down on humans. They're, they have a lot of disdain. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure they have fully explained their deal just yet. Um, okay. I can't recall if they did or not. I don't think they've. We kind of end, you know, this is kind of half of a two-part episode of upending a lot of your ex- understanding of the series, right? Yeah. Um, but Dr. Franks is trying to explain the whole thing about, yeah, half of them turned into energy. What about the other half? What, what is the other form? Then he starts to explain. Well, turns out <laughs> they absorbed that energy themselves and evolved physically. It was like a, some sort of super, super energy, but also super mutagen kind of thing. And they become what we know as Klaxosaurs, these biological weapons that are consist of a, a female soul bonded to the weapon itself and the male soul bonded to the, the cockpit. 
Man, that's weird. Yeah. So Franks are Avas. They're just clones of angels. Like it is what we always thought. Yes. And suddenly, suddenly, way reaching way back to episode two, you're like, why do we need this weird boy girl? leading into fertility sexuality thing to pilot these things this seems like just this egregious reason to put the girls in these outfits and these poses and and pretend like oh we don't know what we're doing and it finally has a logic to it mm-hmm. there's finally an explanation mm-hmm. for why exactly it works the way it does it's because that's what these were this whole time so dinosaurs aren't really just one entity they're actually two entities yes. <laughs> that merge together all right um yeah, things get really wild here. I can't remember everything that uh, the the queen says, but like this is when rockets shoot out of the ground and these giant guns come out of the ground. It, it has maybe my favorite line of dialogue. This is nothing like our battles before. <laughs> this is too outrageous. <laughs> what is going on? Well, how sad to come to the end of a war and realize that's not really the war that's been going on. Yeah. I, f- I feel like the audience is... Squad 13 in this moment. Um, uh, later, we'll talk about spoiler stuff because, like I said earlier, how I feel about this episode changes due to how the rest of the series goes. But I will say that it makes me feel like they were self-aware of what a surprise this was to have all of Squad 13 react that way. They don't just roll with the punches. They're like, this is highly unusual. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing like the story to this point. Is anyone else seeing this? This is... This is outrageous. I can't actually I believe say. what I'm seeing. <laughs> like, lots of just shocked expressions and mouth hanging open. That's the audience, too. I, it makes me feel like... Actually, feel like, feel like that's important to understanding what's going on now, that they know this is going to be a surprise, not like a twist kind of, oh, it all makes sense now, and that the audience will also feel that way. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I agree. that whole The whole way Squad 13 reacts to the development of by the way, aliens. Um, makes me think they're aware that the audience feels that way. Gosh, I, I mean, if I could go back in time to talk to Nishigori, and like before you air episode 20, you need to do like a webisode or like a, uh, an OVA special. <laughs> and I, I, know, I don't know the anime industry or what the complexities of doing a joint studio thing like this was, but uh, I, I kind of sympathize with getting to this point and going like, oh shit. We need to have these characters say, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just, they've rolled with so many other things that have come their way. Maybe they've shaken their fist. And, but even, even as uh, Zero One is kind of doing a little PSA mental broadcast to everybody about what's really going on, you have the squad putting things together, right? Oh, that must have been what you know, the S planning was. And this is was the, what that meant. And, and what about this? Oh, like, so the squad is able to put these things together when they are revealed, when we have the world-building elements come out. But when it's suddenly aliens, that's not how they react. No, no, they're gobsmacked like we are. So Stratzia kind of like takes the pilot position or the stamen pistol position uh, inside of the giant mech uh, star entity, or as Franks dubs it, Stratzia Apis. Yeah. Uh, and it like... The way it interfaces, there's this like cavern, kind of looks like Terminal Dogma from uh, uh, Evangelion. Uh, but uh, Theta, you pointed out, it looks like the pistol of a flower, right? Yeah. So like Streletzia becomes the the spore, the the seed that like interfaces. It's really cool symbolically. Yeah, it's, it's such an it's such a organic shape, you know. 
it's obviously not just a mechanical interface. It just reminds you this is biological theming. And yeah, she is, we're watching essentially the fertilization of this thing is what we're <laughs> seeing visually. And then, hey, sure enough, it wakes up, points itself up at the, uh, the sky. Suddenly, you know what that thing in the credits was that's been ominously hanging out at the very end scene there. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks a bit like Strelesia, but bigger and more, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Like, it looks like a, a, a new form of Strelesia for sure. It's recognizably the same silhouette, but more so. Yeah, and the same kind of coloring too, right? Yeah. Like mostly white, but with details of that magma orange. Yeah, I really like the animation in this scene. Um, they do that like sort of out of focus thing in the distance, uh, communicates the scale. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I commented it felt a lot like a kaiju film to me. So where are we here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it looks like uh, Zero One has the upper hand, but uh, Papa maybe foresaw this and installed a fail safe and, and the Tables turn very quickly. Um, we've seen blue tendrils on Hero when he got the clacks, and now we've got verm tendrils <laughs> going all over the place. Yeah, you got to get those purple tendrils out of you, man. That's not good. <laughs> yes. Um, I like that our antagonists are all color-coded for your convenience, too. <laughs> it's not the blue no, bad thing. This blast. is the purple bad thing. Yeah, so, so Strelizia destroys a lot of the, the purple things that are in outer space. Uh, but then these purple tendrils come up and um, kind of shut down um, her connection with Hero and, and shut down the star entity. And it was going back, this, this was a thing I, I was just rewatching after the episode ended because I was kind of like, well, why didn't they do this from the start? Um, so they have this line about how, you know, they couldn't let star entity go out into the world because it's dangerous. But before the big reveal, Papa's like, Oh yeah, we wanted to star entity. We wanted to like take that out into space and like use it, but I guess we can't do that now. So we're gonna like shut it all down. So so they're full of it too. It's it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not that it's too dangerous. It's it's too dangerous for I guess the Claxosaurs to have it. Yeah, which maybe that's like a commentary on nuclear weapons in our world, where it's like those are too dangerous for anyone to have. You're like so dismantle your stockpile. And you're like well not until everyone else dismantles there. You know. Yeah. Right. That's a monopoly on power. So is this why Ape is here? Because they wanted the Klaxosaur technology? Because the Klaxosaur technology is a threat to them, right? Yeah. They want to wipe, they want to assimilate or wipe out every life form on Earth. The Klaxosaurs, uh, uh, this war, so the Verm has been here before. And she says in her expository uh, uh, narrative, um, uh, Klaxo Princess says, they've been here before and we chase them off the planet. half of the planet right right yeah they came back but infiltrated if you look back now at episode 19 knowing that some of the members of ape are in fact a verm how they pushed the drilling for magma energy yeah they knew exactly what magma energy was they knew probably that was going to deplete uh the Klaxo sapiens ability to defend or to to interfere they started pulling up Klaxosaur bodies i guess and turning them into weapons against them they prepared to assault this star entity and then took the time to rig it. I guess this is what's happened in the time that our squad has been, you know, left their own devices for a bit. They wanted to try to rig it up with as a bomb, as a failsafe before they go and try to steal the thing, uh, just as a mm -hmm. further safeguard. So now it's like they were repelled before. 
they tried a different tack this time, it would seem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so all the destruction of the Earth, all of the getting all of humanity to agree to immortality, give up their, you know, leaving the cycle of death and rebirth by giving up reproduction, uh, giving up their, their lives to live in these plantations, ignoring kind of the destruction of the world and looking back. Yeah, that does seem like an insidious plan to undermine <laughs> the planet's ability to fight back, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. I think going to what Brian was saying, though, there's the question, why did Verm show up in the first place? But then it's kind of like, well, if they could just put the purple tendrils and everything already. Yeah. But I like, I like what Theta said about, like, so Verm showed up with a military conquest previously and it didn't work. So it was like this other underhanded thing is what was going to work, like weak depleting them and turning their things against them. Mm-hmm. And that's when the purple tentacles come out brainwashing their people yeah 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 Yeah. now if i was a gnostic i would say that these are like the archons doing that to our earth right now but i'm not a gnostic Mm. so i'm not going to say that (laughs) all right okie dokie uh papa yeah so this is well so yeah this is uh yeah papa and i didn't see which I, i never got the name of the other it's two of the council members it's papa and one other they're the ones that like you know seem to be in cahoots beyond what uh, the council is uh, and the two of them it's their masks that fall away and then they become this like star entity this fucking like energy being that was very like 70s 80s super robot enemies kind of that's the way it felt to me this felt very good Lagan to me yeah, yeah yeah that's it and it even has two faces which i thought was pretty cool i like that the uh, the masks come off and what is underneath are Masks. <laughs> the mask is really off. Now I'm actually a mask. If you go back to the last episode too, and you watch, you know, the ape council takes a while before they are fully encased in their regalia, right? And some of the earlier scenes, you can see that three of them are always covered, and the ones that join them later are just just have their face covered at first. You can tell they're human, and then they only later become fully encased like the rest of them. Which is very clear that three of them, just go back and look, very clear that three of them have always been encased in a way that you couldn't tell mm. those are not humans underneath. Interesting. And the third one was Tarzier, the assassin, yeah. who when 001 killed it, like the mask came off and there was nothing inside. Uh, just a little geek thing. Like, it just occurred to me that the revelation of Verm uh, looked a lot like uh, Sousa, the villain from Gotcha Man. And there's just like, even like the way it was drawn, this like scribbly effect, there's just so many like little homages to like classic mm-hmm. animation all throughout this thing. And I just now got that one. It's pretty fun. Yeah, we get um, Strelitzia Apis, a uh, star entity firing its main cannon once. <laughs> and uh, when it like blows through a warship and then like this uh, field of explosions lights up space, it looks just like SDF-1. Uh, uh, firing its main gun in Macross. At the Zentradi. So like, yeah. what do you think about that, Ben? Like, what I feel like it's suggesting is like there's hundreds or thousands of these like berm things out in space just based on the the explosions we saw. I thought those were the explosions of all the, the ships that mm-hmm. were kind of um, out there. I don't know. But then it, again, it is kind of like, why is this all happening like right at this moment, like they're all waiting just outside yeah. radar why, range why or cloaked or, yeah. <laughs> my, my best guess on that. So if we take the whole infiltration idea that that's, that's what really happened. These, that three of these guys showed up on earth. They pretended to be ape. They recruited other like-minded humans and then slowly consolidated power. 
Um, you kind of see that happen in 19. Now you can kind of put it two and two together that three of them were not human at all. They were preparing the way. It seems then that they're in their research, I guess. Because you remember it was a surprise that they knew where to send Werner to, to meet the Klaxosaur princess. He's like, I don't know how they mm -hmm. have this information, but they sent us to go, um, go talk to him. And the condition was, if you meet her, come away with something, some scrap of DNA. And he ends up with a few of her strands of hair. And it seems the reason they brought him in in the first place was all his like illegal cloning. That was the thing that the university president or whatever it was points out that you continue to <laughs> all the illegal. I can't seem to stop you from doing all the illegal things you do. Most notably, all the cloning you keep doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, can you stop cloning for five minutes? No. <laughs> but the implication seems to be they must have found Star Entity. They must have realized that it took her to activate it. If you go back, there's talk about there's a key. There's no need for a duplicate key. Um, mm, that's they right. They must have wanted to create a way to activate this thing. They must have found Star Entity and been like, okay, we might not be able to deal with this thing. Let's find another path. And the path seems to be find a different way to activate it and make it their own. And the answer to that quest is zero two. Mm -hmm. Zero two is the one who is going to activate it. So it's oh, all about why. keeping her in their control, dangling promises in front of her, experimenting on her, seeing if she's going to work, and then bending all of the, the might of the parasites and the plantations under their control to first get into the Grand Crevasse, to secure it, and then to make an attempt to activate it. And I mm -hmm. guess the timing thing is if they tipped their hand then our Klaxo princess will go grab the star entity before they can get ready for it. So they can't mm -hmm. tip their hand that they are actually Verm here to steal it. It has to look like it's the humans. It has to look like it's these other guys because, yeah, final battle here. The Klaxosaurs, once Verm is here, they are ignoring the humans. And the Verm is ignoring the humans as well. They're only fighting each other. Once, once that enemy is on the field, they don't care about anything else. So I get the impression that Verm's gambit with Via Ape is to figure out a way to steal the star entity without letting the princess know that's what they're about. Um, and so that little mission that they send the little ambassadors to, uh, that must have been an attempt to get her to surrender, maybe even get her to, you know, find her and assassinate her, right? So that there's only one key. Mm -hmm. Now, no one can activate except us because we have zero two. But they fail, and so they still have to try to, okay, now we have to try to steal it like this. But once we show, tip our hand, maybe she shows up and crashes the party, so let's take some time to rig it as an explosive in case that happens. <laughs> then once she does that, well, now there's no need to keep the invasion fleet back. That was the thing they were trying to keep her from doing. And fortunately, Zero Two is still alive. I mean, I'm sure it's like a long way down from the cockpit of Strelitzia to the floor. Mm -hmm. But uh, she is in a pool of blood. Yeah. Well, she's got our symbol... This like bleeding head is has been this like recurring imagery. Like Hero keeps getting his head bloodied. Zero Two uses her own bloody head to like overcome the memory loss. Mm -hmm. um, and so like it's very. Uh, she has a bloody head. She has a bloody arm. Uh, I think we're still in this. Like it's. I don't know. It's this like hint that we're still in this cycle of rebirth. Like we're not done with the turning of the wheel. Yeah, Kokoro's head bleeds when she takes me through through his breakthrough. <gasps> uh, is there like a bloodletting thing in the Golden Bow? Is that a thing in Norse mythology? Nothing occurs to me that would be relevant here offhand. That doesn't mean there isn't anything. Just nothing occurs to me. Mm -hmm. I do love that shot of the hallway, though, where you see the, the trail of blood. Because since you already saw her walking, and then it's, you see where it drops down. 
And before you can see if she's okay or not, you, you have this awful, oh no, she, it stops and it sinks to the ground. Um, just this, this shot to build a little bit of tension into what is happening at the same time the hero is thinking of her. But no, she gets up, walks to the end, repeats their promise. And that's, that's where they leave us. Yeah, it's her turn now because he did it the last time. He came through that like sea of Klaxosaurs uh, in the little training unit uh, uh, in like 15. Uh, anyways, Gosh. yeah. So I like the ending very much. Yeah. Uh, like the very ending. After all of this insane like revelations and twists, like we get this slow scene that tells us it's going to keep going. Yeah, it brings us back to that human element that we were talking about earlier as the, as the focus. Yeah. So Zero Two has a, a healing factor. So I'll throw this out for the comic book fans out there. This also reminds me of uh, the turning point in the Hellfire Club arc of Claremont and Burns' X-Men, when the X-Men are totally defeated and Wolverine is been discarded in the sewers and he gets up. And he's like, it's my turn now. <laughs> That's the, I got the Wolverine energy off of uh, Zero Two for our ending here. I was just going to throw it out to Ben, who hasn't seen past this. Um, sure. If you had to speculate on where we're going from here, what does your gut tell you? Um, you know, I, I think maybe an alliance between the humans and Klaxosaurs against this, um, this final enemy. Um, but then, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, how do you escalate from here? How do you really fight Verm? So I could also imagine this going, you know, sort of um, the end of not the movie end of Evangelion, but the end of the Evangelion series where, you know, um, this turns into a very abstract thing about love or something, you know, maybe even like the, the humans and Klaxosaurs have to somehow prove themselves to Verm or prove that they deserve to exist or something like that. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Are they space cops? Are they galactic judges? <laughs> what are Verm, really? Well, so, so I was joking about space cop, and then I was like, oh, X has already established an interest in space police from FLCL. So, um, <laughs> totally. You know, so, so maybe it is kind of continuing a, a theme that, that they're already sort of interested in. So, yeah. I think cool. to, to riff off that idea slightly, I, I think maybe going back to the introduction of aliens, that po possibly part of the late introduction can be explained by attaching that introduction to the whole package of super robot stories uh, mm. in the sense that so often space gets involved somehow and that maybe there is a, an assumption that the audience will assume that, oh, well, that's of course where we're headed eventually. Eventually space is just has to be because that's part of the whole super robot package. And mm -hmm. therefore, no one should be surprised when it happens. The surprise is in how exactly it's introduced and how it interacts with the story as we understand it to this point. But I think maybe, maybe there was too much assumption about that. Um, mm. you, you have kind of clear little divisions of the story. You know, episode one through six seems like one kind of story. You have a very clear totally. arc, clearly wraps up. It's the first kind of getting together and surviving and the... Uh, big boss battle in Hero and Zero Two professing their attachment to each other. Um, and then you have these series of kind of one-episode vignettes. You know, seven, eight, nine, ten, um, eleven are all kind of standalone episodes exploring the rest of our squad. We've, we've come to like a new normal of sorts with Zero Two being attached to Squad 13, and we start exploring that. These little series of single episodes. And then you have 12 through 15, 
they go back to garden you you have 13 and they're in the backstory you have the the, the awful split up of 14 and the reconciliation of 15 finishing that whole grand kafas battle that's clearly its own section and then we go into another it's even 16 i think it's even called days of our lives kind of situation like we had in 7 8 9 10 you have another new normal and exploring a few things about the squad and that also comes to an end in the same way that the earlier series of little uh, standalone vignettes seem to come to an end. And then you have mm -hmm. 19 as this almost whole episode flashback that then divides us from where we are now. This obviously is not a standalone episode. We ended in the middle of a whole bunch of things. And so this is like the beginning of the end. You know there's only four episodes to go, so there's not really time to have multiple arcs or multiple little things. This is in the same way that we had those first six at the very beginning and those three or four right in the middle. This feels to me like we've entered the last arc, the last narrative. Um, mm. So I guess in one sense, introducing aliens at that point makes sense as being the final escalation. Um, like you're saying, Ben, it's like, where do you, where do you, where do you escalate from here now? <laughs> yeah. How do you up the ante on this? It's the final countdown. It's the final so, uh, you gave us wonderful recommendations before, but maybe something else has popped up on your radar or you thought of something else. Uh, Theta, if someone really enjoyed Darling and the Franks or really enjoys space revelations, what, what <laughs> could you recommend? I think aside from other trigger works, Gurren Logan even came up a few times in our discussion. Mm -hmm. Assuming that they always go back to the well, you might even assume that, well, of course, this is what's going to happen. I, I saw Gurren Logan. Didn't you guys see that? Why is anyone surprised <laughs> at how things continually escalate? So that would be one. If you like the kind of thematic smorgasbord that we have going on here, the series that we focused on last season, an anime called Sunny Boy. And Sunny Boy is about as thematically dense an anime series as I have come across mm. ever. It was very much like literary fiction in anime form. And the same kind of, um, by the time this podcast comes out, hopefully I will have finished my last video on that series which is just nothing but a thematic rundown of the series, and I'm already hours into it. So if you like this kind of, wow, these themes keep showing up in lots of different ways, and human relationships are awfully messy, and like a series that rewards me for watching it over and over again and pondering what the little things uh, mean, Sunny Boy would get a very strong recommendation. All right, something to look forward to. If you'll uh, do us the honor of joining us in the sign-off. Absolutely. Uh, we can switch gears here. So I'll get us started if everyone's ready. Pen. Pen. Owls. Darling. Darling. Love it. <laughs> Thank okay. you so much. <laughs>